Morning, Saints. Morning, Sinners. There we go. Thank you. This morning's sermon title in the bulletin. Yeah, go ahead and look at it. Go ahead. Go ahead and look at it so you know what I'm talking about. It's pretty boring. Yeah, it's kind of boring. But this morning's sermon title was not what it was originally. I'm telling you that now. I was edited. I got edited. I sent the original title uh, for the sermon, and I sent it to this, this, the people that we use um, that formats our electronic mail and emails and stuff like that. And they, they sent me back this note it said, this is way too political. It'll stir people up. We suggest changing it. Please explain your rationale immediately. It's like, who works for who, first of all? <laughs> but I, I just, you know, I, I just said, you know, I'm not going to fight it. So I changed the title. But what was the title that I submitted that was so controversial? Here you go. What do Jerusalem and Charlottesville have in common? What do Jerusalem and Charlottesville have in common? Now, they just thought this was just way over the top. Um, Yeah, it's a little arresting. It will cause you to sit up and pay attention and go, wait a minute, what's the preacher doing? Yes, it captures what really is going on in our text this morning. Because we, my beloved, over the centuries have forgotten the gravity of our text this morning and the gravity of the triumphal entry of Jesus on that of Palm Sunday. You see, it was a time in human history where two opposing forces were coming face to face, staring at one another. The force of light the force of darkness. On the one hand, there were the forces of hate, separation, oppression, exclusion. And on the other hand, riding down the hill on this young donkey was this Jesus who was representing the force of light, of inclusion, of reconciliation, of love. And when those forces come together, there's kerfuffle. Just like there was in Charlottesville. It got ugly. It got volatile. It was a highly charged political situation. And we tend to forget that it was no less political, no less ugly and volatile that first Holy Week as well, when Jesus came to visit Jerusalem. We tend to forget that Jerusalem was set on edge, about ready to explode into a riot at any time. For that entire week between now and Easter. You see, Jesus was coming into the holy city, claiming it as his own. His presence, Jesus' message, Jesus' actions were incendiary. They were revolutionary. 
And they challenged the Jewish religious system. They challenged the Roman political system. It challenged the way the larger culture related to people who are the other in the community. Indeed, the very first thing Jesus did when he got to the temple is he went inside and started flipping over the the tables with the money changers. He was saying, you have got, your understanding of God is so whack. It is so out of what is supposed to be about. I'm over it. Jesus was revolutionary. So I've changed the title to make it less offensive. So today I'm going to build my thoughts around the notion that do we understand Palm Sunday any better than the disciples? When in reality, it should be what do Jerusalem and Charlottesville have in common? Hear the word of the gospel from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. You've heard, if you've been in church at all, you've heard these texts before. I'm going to challenge you to hear them fresh. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, so... If, if, if I'm Jerusalem, I'm looking east, there's Mount of Olives, Bethpage and Bethany are just over the hill across from me. So Jesus is coming from the east to the west. Jesus sent two disciples saying, I want you to go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. So, those who were sent departed and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, sure enough, the owners asked, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks upon the colt, they sat Jesus on it. They set Jesus on it. Jesus didn't sat, they set him on it. Big difference. As Jesus rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully and with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees, the religious establishment in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, I want your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered them, I tell you, even if they were to stop and they were silent, these stones would shout out loudly. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Now let's unpack what Jerusalem was like when Jesus entered the holy city. Just like today, there were people who were split into groups based on their interpretations of faith, their interpretations of politics, economics, about whose people were in and which people were out. 
You had your groups from the religious conservatives and progressives. There was a vast uh, divide between the financial haves and have-nots. Yes, the first century had its own version of the one percenters. Where 1% had most everything and everybody else managed to barely get by. Politically, even one of Jesus' disciples, Judas was a member of a political organization, a highly nationalized group of people called the Zealots, who were intentionally trying to overthrow, with whatever means they could, the Roman government. In the first century, there was rampant national, ethnic, physical, and religious discrimination between those who were in the old group and those who were not. Just like today, there were backroom deals, power power brokers who made the decisions that affected the masses with very little input from the others. Some things in human nature never change, my friends. It's been this way since Jesus' time. And though human behavior may not change, we come this Palm Sunday and we are reminded that there is another way to live our lives in this mixed-up, muddled-up, shook-up world. You see, Jesus calls us to be humble, revolutionary leaders for change and transformation in the world. Yeah, you. In this text, Jesus is calling you and me to be humble, revolutionary leaders for change and transformation in the world. On Palm Sunday, we often come with over-sentimentalized notions of Jesus coming into Jerusalem the final week of his life. It's a big parade. This morning, I want us, however, to evolve, grow our thinking a little bit about Palm Sunday. And I want us to see it from a different angle. For you see, if we really pay attention and listen closely to the text, we will discover that Jesus was ushering as he came down that hill on a colt, as he was set on the back of that colt. He was being quite a revolutionary and calling for an alternate, alternative style of community and living together. Now, the first understanding, and, 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 and the funny thing is, I, I, I couldn't preach this in some countries today. I mean, this is, this is kind of an amazing thing. Jesus is revolutionary. The first understanding we need to remember about Palm Sunday is, is that Jesus' descent in, from, from Mount of Olives down through the cemetery, ancient cemetery, and going back up into Jerusalem, it was an overtly political demonstration. We forget that reality. We see this procession coming down the mountain and everybody waving palms and throwing their coats on the ground as like a 4th of July or a Veterans Day parade when in reality his entrance into the city was more like the march through Selma. It was not a parade remembering past glories. Beloved, Jesus' coming on a cult was an act of social, political, and religious disobedience in the eyes of his compatriots 
and contemporaries. In today's 12 verses, there are at least three different clues of Jesus's political, or three different political statements that Jesus makes to the people. The first is a reference to the prophet Zephaniah, a psalm of victory over one's enemies. And then there's a reference from Habakkuk about how even if the political religious structures silence the people, the very creation itself, the rocks would declare God's glory. There's nothing that can silence the word of God. The Jews understood that the Messiah would approach from the east, come down the Mount of Olives and proclaim and reclaim Jerusalem. And the spreading of the coats, the branches, or how the crowds perceived Jesus. They did not see him as savior of souls right then, beloved. We, we have to remember that. They saw Jesus as the king, the new ruler. H. Stephen Shoemaker cites biblical scholars who say um, on that Palm Sunday there were two processions coming in to Jerusalem. From the west came a procession, came Pilate, draped in the glory of the imperial power of Rome and all of its gaudiness, haughtiness, horses, chariots, gleaming armor. He moved in the Roman army into Jerusalem that Holy Week because there's talk of insurrection. After all, Passover is the festival where the Jews remember how they were liberated from slavery and retained and gained their independence. And so Pilate wasn't taking any chances. From the east came riding another procession, a commoner's procession. Jesus in an ordinary robe riding a young donkey. The careful preparations suggest that Jesus has planned a highly ritualized, symbolic, prophetic act that was described in the Old Testament book, Zephaniah 9. The coming of a new kind of king. A king of peace. Who will dismantle the weaponry of war and injustice. Shoemaker then goes on to say that the people there in Jerusalem were faced with two choices. Pax Romana, that is the peace that Rome brings. And how did Rome bring peace? Through power, through exploitation, through putting down, separating, or Pax Christi the peace of Christ, the reign of Christ. Where everything is turned upside down and people work together with a sense of love, justice, and purpose. He says, our challenge is to show how the gospel of the kingdom of God has political implications but transcend our current present day politics and loyalties. In other words, beloved, if we take the gospel as it actually is, 
and live it out as Jesus lived and professed it in our world. Our collective kingdom building will change the broken structure of our communities. It will. It will. It's not Pollyanna. It can change the structures and transform our world, our community. But today our nation is faced with battles between Pax Republican versus Pax Democrat. I can't talk from the pulpit about dropping paper on the ground and picking it up without it being a political statement. Seriously. That's just good stewardship. Pick up your trash. It's not a political statement. On Palm Sunday, our Palm Sunday text, my beloved, reminds us that just as in Jesus' time, we are still being called into the realm of a third way. And it's not Pax Romana. It's not or, or Republican or Democrat. It is to the third way of Pax Christi, the realm of Jesus, the realm of Christ. It's where we are called to enflesh our faith in the world as though it transcends political or party loyalties to, um, or to political, uh, economic loyalties, whatever loyalties you have and I have. Pax Christi overrides Pax Americana. Don't stone me. But that's what Jesus is saying. Or Pax Mother Russia, or Pax Deutschland, Pax Argentina, Venezuela, in whatever you want to say, Pax Christi trumps it all. It transcends political loyalties, brothers and sisters. The church in the first through fourth centuries were, was a part of creating, a major part of creating huge religious, cultural, and political changes in the world. In our own lifetimes, we have seen how the church was the revolutionary actor in claiming civil rights for our brothers and sisters of color. In our own lifetime, we have witnessed how the underground church in Eastern Europe, in Russia, caused what's been termed the Velvet Revolution, which brought down the oppressive political and military powers of the Cold War. The church can change culture. Then why are we so quiet? Jesus descending the mountain was his way of starting a revolution, beloved. Who's starting a revolutionary event of both present and eternal consequences. Now, church, do we live with that same passionate transformation, understanding of transformation, or have we grown too comfortable with status quo? You know, it's comfortable when society ignores us. What drives our culture? What drives our behavior at the moment, my beloved? Is it a loyalty to economic, military, national, religious parties or whatever? Or is it Pax Christi? It doesn't matter how you and I vote in any election, in any election, but it does matter if we have first expressed our cultural concerns, our political concerns, economic concerns, spiritual concerns as members of the body of Pax Christi. 
the peace of Christ. Beloved, Jesus demonstrated that Palm Sunday. He demonstrated how we're to live in our world today. We're to base our civics. We are to express our personal and collective civitas, not with the planks of Republican or Democratic platforms, but on the ethics and the planks that make up Christ followership. And what are those planks? What is our leader wanting us to do? Go back to Matthew chapters 5 through 7. That's your homework. What does the kingdom of God look like, beloved? Well, look at Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and what we call the Beatitudes. Christ's revolution for establishing the reign of God begins when we actually live and believe that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The revolutionary of Christ begins when we believe and act that blessed are those who are mournful, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The revolution will begin when we live and we believe blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, they will be filled. Beloved, the revolution will begin and the reign of God will begin when we live and believe. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The revolution will begin when we begin to live as blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. The reign of God will begin when we live and act as though blessed are the persecuted for doing the right thing for God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are persecuted and who are reviled for standing up what Jesus believes in and stands up for. Because your reward is great in heaven. Beloved, Are you ready to be a revolutionary like Jesus? Are you, am I, is this church, is this community of faith willing to be revolutionary and turn the world upside down for God? Let's start a movement, shall we? And let's reclaim what Palm Sunday really is. The beginning of Pax, the reign of Christ. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, as we gather, we give you thanks for today, this time together. We pray, O Lord, that you would use us to thy will. Help us, O God, to be humble, revolutionary workers for peace and justice, for reconciliation and grace in this broken world. Amen.